And if you would, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Ephesians as we continue there this morning. As we're continuing to uh, just look for the gospel uh, from one cover to the next. Uh, so if you were with us last week on Friends Day, uh, you remember we started in Ephesians, and there's so much rich truth within Ephesians, we just can't get through it in one setting. Uh, remember, God inspired, God's inspired word through Paul begins this letter to the Ephesian church uh, talking about riches, but it is probably a different kind of riches that first come to our mind. These are our spiritual blessings, the riches of God's grace. And they become true of each one of us when we are in Christ. Remember that word in. It means to rest. It, mean, it means to rest. Rest is a condition of the heart and the mind that acknowledges and lives in the fact that we are helpless without Jesus. Lord, I need you. Recall some of these riches from chapter 1. It calls us chosen, holy, blameless, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, adopted as God's child. Our, our spiritual eyes have been opened to see the mystery of His grace. And last but not least, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and sealed carries the meaning that um, if you want evidence that you are God's child, He calls the Holy Spirit to the witness stand to testify on our behalf. And these are just uh, some of the, the riches that the gospel brings to each one of us. Verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2 have been called the most concise presentation of the gospel in all of Scripture. And so let's just kind of review that. Uh, the G is for God's character. That's where the gospel starts and ends. He is the one who does all of the action in salvation. He is rich in mercy, and because of his great love, he made us alive in Christ. He raised us up and made us sit in heavenly places, it says. He is showing us the riches of his grace, and we desperately need the character of God to prevail in our lives because the O in gospel is offensive sin. And that is a stark reality that outshines every good thing that you and I have ever done. In these verses, we are described as, as dead, fulfilling the desires of our flesh. We are children of wrath. The only thing in all of God's creation that doesn't listen to Him is us. The severity of our sin is determined by the majesty of the one sinned against. And our sin is greatly offensive to the infinitely holy and majestic God of the universe. And that's where the S comes in, the sufficiency of Christ. So how can God be just towards sin and show love to sinners like you and me? The answer is the sufficiency of Christ. By dying on the cross, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Ephesians tells us that now we, we were once dead in sin, now we are alive in Christ. We receive the kindness of God in Christ. We are created for good works in Christ. But the P stands for a personal response because we must make a personal response. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through, what is it? Do you remember? Faith. Through faith. Uh, not through love, not through hope, but through faith. 
And faith is the anti-work, the exact opposite of depending upon ourselves. See, salvation is a, a gift we receive, not a prize we earn. Our response to the gospel is putting our faith in the sufficiency of Christ. The E in the gospel presentation here is the eternal urgency. Because God's wrath is reserved for sinners, and you and I all know someone who needs the saving message of Jesus. And it may be God, that God wants to use you in their life. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. The L is for life transformation. Uh, the gospel leads to a new life. Not just in heaven, but here and now. When we place our faith in Jesus, the lifelong process of sanctification begins as we strive to live each and every day and continue to move forward in faith. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And in the verses that follow there in chapter 2, God continues to show us who we are in Christ. More riches. Verses 14 and 15, chapter 2, look at them. It says that we have peace with God. In verse 16, it says that we are reconciled, made right. Verse 18, we have access to the Father. Verse 19, we, we're no longer strangers, but we're now citizens of heaven. Verse 22, we are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, it would be really easy for us to just kind of read through uh, these verses and, 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 and miss the depth of these riches. Church, we have peace with God through Christ. We have peace with God through Christ. If you don't sense a peace with God in your life, check and see if you know Jesus. We are reconciled with God. That, that offense of sin, the stark reality of that, we're reconciled. We're made right. We have access to the Father. We can approach the throne of grace boldly. We are citizens of heaven. If you haven't taken the time to read through and soak up these first two chapters of Ephesians... Uh, and what they say about being in Christ, if you haven't had time to do that yet, I challenge you to do so this week and discover the unsearchable riches of Christ, as chapter 3, verse 8 puts it. Uh, so uh, history tells us that Paul was in prison when he wrote uh, to the Ephesians. Now, the last time he saw him was on that Mediterranean beach, but he wrote from prison. Look what verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says. For this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So we're just going to stop right there. Now think about that for a minute. Uh, shouldn't it read, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome? I mean, it, it would make better sense if it said that. But from Paul's perspective, it was different. All his chains, all his trials, all the difficulties in Paul's life weren't because of any, high, any king or, or high priest or magistrate. They were because of Jesus. And this is, a, this is a different mindset that most of us have. See, Paul was willing to give up anything if God called him to it because he knew what God called him to was better. God's calling on his life was far higher than what any, anything that Paul could do on his own. Think about, think about your life as I, as I think about mine. Uh, if I was in prison for standing up for my faith, I'm more of a uh, complain about it and suggest that God should have talked it over with me before he did anything type person. I'm more of a feel sorry for myself when I don't get my way. I don't know about you, but uh, that, that's me, but not Paul. 
He knew the negative circumstances in his life had a God-given purpose. And therefore, they were good. And that's, that's just a, that's a completely different outlook on life, isn't it? Look at Romans 5.3. Paul wrote this to the Roman church. Uh, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. James put it like this in James 1, 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what we see is something that, man, a lot of us probably need to hear, the next blank on your outline. Uh, your trials have a God-given purpose. Your trials have a God-given purpose. Uh, so when, I, when, when you hear that word trials, what in your life comes to mind? Because uh, it, there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to it. They're all part of a custom-tailored plan just for you to make you more like Jesus. Don't forget that truth. Lord, give us faith like Paul. See, he knew what is a key word in the verses that follow. We're going to look at just three key words in these, in these uh, chapters today. The first one is mystery. The mystery. Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. It's a fancy way of saying Paul was a steward of the grace of God on behalf of the Gentiles. Uh, verse 3. How that by how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel." So uh, everybody loves a good uh, whodunit mystery, right? I remember uh, watching uh, the show Unsolved Mysteries as a kid. You, you guys remember that? Robert Stack, I think, was the, was the host. And the, the premise was, uh, man, these, are, these mysteries, we, we don't know. They're still unsolved. But mystery here uh, is, is a little different because this one has been solved. Uh, the, 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 the solution here is found in verse 6. The Gentiles are now fellow heirs. That's, that's the mystery. Um, mystery here describes a truth that was once hidden by God in past times, but has now been revealed to those who are in his family. And, and this one is most important, especially to you and I here. Uh, it, was, it was important enough for Paul to make a complete 180, eventually become a prisoner, and ultimately give his life. It was important enough for the Gentiles in Ephesus to devote their entire lives to making those who were once outsiders reconciled with God and of his people. Uh, this mystery is important enough that even angels are mentioned here in verse 10. Notice it says, principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So what was once an unsolved mystery even to them, now they begin to see God's plan for the church revealed. That's what this, the next blank is. The mystery is the, God's plan for the church revealed. See, this had never been before. One body, 
made up of both Jews and Gentiles united in Christ. And it should be important for us as the church because everything mentioned here in chapters 1 and 2, everything has changed for you and me. And so the mystery has been solved. Uh, the verses that follow are, are the second of two very deep and heartfelt prayers. Just listen to them. Verse 14, chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you would, be being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice those four parts of this heartfelt prayer. Uh, the first found there in verse 16. And, and, and notice, so look there in verse 16, that you would be strengthened internally through what? What is the answer there? Look there. Through the Spirit. It's, it's Spirit, yeah. Okay, then look at verse 17. Um, that who would take up residence in your heart through faith? Who is it? It's Christ. That's right, yeah. Uh, verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend or take hold of, to know the width and length and depth and height of the love of who? Christ, yeah. And then verse 19, that you would be filled with all the fullness of who? God, yeah. So, so don't miss it. We have the Holy Spirit, we have Jesus, and we have God. That's the focus. This, the triune God that we serve, the one true God. And, and the prayer wasn't for material blessings. He didn't pray that the Ephesians' bank accounts would grow. He didn't pray that they would pass this test that uh, is coming up that they really didn't study for. Uh, not that it's always wrong to pray for things like that, but they have a tendency to be pretty self-centered, don't they? Now, these requests are, are much deeper, and actually they're much more valuable. I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to note these verses and pray them over your loved ones. Uh, pray them for your spouse and your kids and your grandkids, because isn't this really what we want? The, aren't these riches that are, are most invaluable? Wouldn't they truly change our lives if, if, and our church? and our community, and our nation, if we would be strengthened internally through the Spirit. If Christ would take up residence in our hearts through an unshakable faith in what He says and has done. If we were just to kind of comprehend a little bit better, take hold of and know the width and length and depth and height of the love of Christ. If we would actually be filled with the fullness of God. I mean, church, this describes an intimate pursuit or relationship with, with the Father. And so, what are we doing in our lives to pursue that kind of relationship? Notice how chapter 3 ends. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Now notice it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above. That phrase is translated as uh, above and beyond in some translations. But I think maybe it's, it's even more than that. Uh, the word for exceedingly is hyper. 
hyper. Maybe, maybe you're familiar with the word hyper. Maybe you know some kids who get a little bit hyper when you give them a little bit too much sugar. Uh, you think about if you hyperextend uh, your, your elbow, it, it's gone too far. That's what that word hyper means. Like too, too far, farther than what was intended. And, and that's the idea. Much, much more. Now, um, the word abundantly there can translate as exceedingly. It, it can translate as exceedingly. Are, are you with me this morning? Uh, so God can do exceedingly, exceedingly above what we ask or think. Let that soak in for a minute. God can do exceedingly, exceedingly above what we ask or think. This is our God. Uh, this is who we, we lose focus of when we dwell on what we can't do and when we dwell on the impossible and the me monster rather than focusing on the one who is above it all, the one who reigns, the one true God. Chapter 4 uh, starts out with a therefore. And so because of this reality, because God can do exceedingly, exceedingly above all we ask or imagine, verse 4 uh, one says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so this starts the second section of, of Ephesians. Um, basically, here's the idea. All these riches have a God-given responsibility. All the riches that we have in Christ lead to responsibility. And so number two on your outline, the, the second key word is walk. Uh, so the riches that we have in Christ, they lead to a responsibility, and so we're called to walk. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Okay, so that, that's a nice churchy concept. Uh, walk with, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. But how do we do it? Well, look at verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, walk in unity. The next blank on your outline. Walk in unity. Uh, see, as, we, as we're making our way through the New Testament, we have seen the church traditionally was divided, which actually, uh, if you've ever thought about it, it's the opposite of unity. People have a natural tendency to judge and shun others who aren't like them. Actually, if you think about it, we tend to judge others that we're exactly alike. <laughs> we're just kind of judgy people. But it's not our, our job to judge like that. Uh, and please note, I'm not advocating sin. The judgment going on here was Jew and Gentile. It's not sinful to be born a Jew. It's not sinful to be born a Gentile. Uh, the whole... Uh, it's not our job to judge line is used a lot to advocate sin, to call something okay that God's word says is not okay, just to keep the peace, to live in harmony. But that's not what unity is. Unity is a spiritual grace that comes from within and says, okay, uh, in this body of believers, we don't see everything eye to eye, but the stuff that truly matters, the doctrines that are non-negotiable, we do. And so we're friends, and we're going to act like it toward each other because God knows there are plenty of other attacks coming from the enemy outside the church that we desperately need to stand together and not attack from within. That's unity. It's here for us today, and I believe it crosses denominational lines. The next blank on your outline 
Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is forced. Unity is chosen. Verse 2 helps us get started with a list of what that looks like. When we live in lowliness, that, uh, humility is what that is, which is the opposite of pride. When we have gentleness toward each other, when we're long-suffering, another word for, for patience, when we bear with one another in love, that's what unity looks like. Verse 17, we see the word again, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles do. That word for Gentiles, is, it refers to unbelievers. And then it tells us how they walk. Verse 17, in futility or wickedness of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them, because of the blindness of the heart, who being past feeling have, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Uh, notice that, that phrase there um, in verse, verse 19, being past feeling. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever uh, played guitar, if you play guitar. Um, but here's a little warning if you're thinking about it. When you first start, it hurts. Because um, on your fingers, you're, you're pressing against this tiny little string into the, into the fretboard. And uh, it's just painful until you develop calluses. And then it, it doesn't hurt anymore. And, and that's the idea of this being past feeling. A, a calloused heart. An unbeliever's heart becomes so calloused. They don't feel pain, the pain of conviction. They don't hear the call of the Holy Spirit. Their lack of spiritual understanding has led to a place of completely wild, unclean, greedy living. It's a snapshot of our world today. Past feeling calloused. And what, what God is saying here in Ephesians, the church is different. And I think God's word says this because he knew that there would be times in our lives when there would be a pull for us to go back to the old way. There's always temptation. And he's saying, listen, this is how lost people act. This is not how believers, the church, acts. Because Jesus makes us different. Uh, the idea of walking in unity uh, continues in verses 3 through 6 with another key word. It is one. Number three on your outline. One. Uh, let's read four, through, uh, four, three through six. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So there are seven ones right there. So let's just write those down. First one is body. One body, the body of Christ, represented by local bodies of the church across the world. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, indwelling every true believer. One hope, that is the promise of the return of Christ. One Lord, that is Jesus, who has redeemed us from the curse of sin. One faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Each and every believer has the same faith. One baptism. All the scholars that I, that I looked at agree that this is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion. One God. The one true God 
of the Bible. And we've seen, seen it before. That word God, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But this one true God of the, uh, that we're talking about here is, is the God of the Bible. Jehovah, Yahweh, God Almighty. And if we can agree on these seven ones, there's no reason for disunity in the body of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 7 tells us that, that Jesus gave us gifts in order to, for the church to continue to grow and move forward on the foundation of this right doctrine. And then we won't be tossed to and fro by, by deceitful plottings of, of men. Chapter 4, verse 15 tells us to speak truth in love. Uh, truth without love can hurt. Love without truth winks at sin. And so there's got to be a balance of both. Chapter 4, verse 26 tells us to be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger because anger gives a foothold for Satan to come in and divide. And we'll finish with chapter 4, verse 29 through 32. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That word corrupt there, it means rotten or putrid. And, and I don't think we need to uh, give any examples of, of what that is. I think we've experienced that. But that's what negative, unnecessary words are like when we use them toward each other. Face-to-face or Facebook-to-Facebook. The rotten, the putrid, they don't help anything. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We know, we've seen that word sealed already. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so church, as it turns out, uh, there's so much rich truth here in Ephesians that we can't even get through it in in two settings. And so we're going to finish it up hopefully next week. But listen, this is all that the gospel does for our lives. All this truth that we've looked at, who we are in Christ, uh, how we are different from the world, it's all because of the gospel. The riches that we have in Christ lead to responsibility. And so what do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you through His Word? As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and answer the questions that we always like to answer at this point? What has God said to you? And what are you going to do about it?